don't have a hymn this morning, so we're just going to not have a hymn this morning, and we'll do that later. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills, that we may be completely yours, utterly dedicated to you, and then use us, we pray, as you will, and always to your glory and the welfare of your people, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, please be seated. <clears throat> All right, so uh, in catechesis, traditional catechesis, there are three uh, what are often called pillars of catechesis. Do you know what they are? The Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer. Um, these form the backbone of catechesis. Um, we are taught through this what Christians believe, how Christians pray, and how Christians act, um, how we live. Um, and these formed the backbone of, of Christian instruction uh, since the very beginning. Uh, the, in, when, when in the Reformation, the Reformers began to write catechisms, people like Luther and Calvin and others, um, and our own Anglican uh, divines also wrote catechisms. Actually, following the time of the English Reformation, there were over 600 local catechisms in use around the realm, and they, mo for the most part, center on these three, the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and the Apostles' Creed. Um, in fact, children who are being prepared for confirmation, and this goes back to the uh, baptismal rites of Anglicanism, uh, they're, they're told uh, this child must learn as soon as they're able, meaning as soon as they're able to read uh, the, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. They're to be memorized. Um, so having finished the Apostles' Creed, we now move into the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is taught not so that you can memorize the Lord's Prayer because you uh, should have done that uh, early on, and maybe you haven't, but it's, it's pretty simple to do, so, so learn it. Um, <clears throat> but the Lord's Prayer is taught um, as, and we'll get to this, the pattern and practice of prayer. Um, and, in fact, the Church Fathers taught in the Lord's Prayer, uh, if, you're, if you're really interested in knowing this, uh, St. Augustine has wonderful homilies on the Lord's Prayer. Um, the, the Lord's Prayer was taught uh, primarily because, and this is something that's really kind of foreign to us, but bear with me for a moment. Um, in many places in the ancient church, uh, it was understood that uh, catechumens, those who had not yet been baptized, couldn't really pray like Christians do. Now, in many places they did pray nonetheless. I mean, that's not, that's not really the, the reason. But it was to say, uh, for a Christian... A Christian prays as a child of God, yes, as one who's been reborn. Um, and so it's kind of hard to pray our Father when you're not quite sure is that the case. Um, and so uh, we know that when uh, St. John Chrysostom would baptize, uh, the first thing that would happen when people came up out of the water is he would grab their hands and place them on his head and ask them to pray for him. He'd say, pray for me. And... Uh, the, the prayer that they would pray was the Lord's Prayer. Because John Chrysostom believed that uh, neophytes, those who had just been baptized, had special powers of prayer. Uh, that they, being washed as white as the snow, were able to intercede for even uh, the great bishop of, uh, of, of Constantinople in the time. Um, so <clears throat> that is to say that um, the Christian prays as a child of God. That's the first thing, Yes. And we're taught this in the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, are we not? 
uh, to call upon God as our Father. Uh, we'll say more about that uh, soon. If we turn to page 75 in the Catechism, we can begin. Uh, just I want to take a little bit of a brief look at this introduction here. If you need a catechism, I think we have plenty more at the welcome table. The gospel is God's invitation to all people to come to know him, to spend this present life getting to know him better, and to love and serve him as members of his redeemed family. Thus we prepare for eternal life with God. For all Christians, therefore, communing with God becomes life's central activity. Accordingly, one basic once basic Christian beliefs have been set forth and learned, the next catechetical task is to explore the path of prayer. This is our God-given way of responding to the knowledge of God and his desires and purposes for us, entering through prayer into direct fellowship with him. We go on to say this, Christian prayer is best understood as our personal response to God's word. Um, for Anglicans, uh, the beginning of faith is not some sort of thing that wells up inside me, is it? Is it something that I have? No, it's, it is the gift of God which comes by hearing. In fact, this is the teaching of the Lord's of the of really the church throughout the centuries. But but if you if you read Paul, Paul's understanding is you hear the word and respond to it. Yes. Um, in fact, Jesus says the same thing multiple times in the Gospels. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, that's what you've got to have. Our personal response to God's word is prayer. Augustine says, "O Lord, Thou didst strike my heart with Thy word, and I loved Thee." Um, and this is not a way that we uh, Americans in this century are accustomed to speaking about our relationship with Christ or with God. In Christ, we are uh, far more accustomed to speak about God in, in more, um, uh, more subdued tones. Uh, but we don't speak about the Christian life as a love affair. Um, St. Augustine was, was obsessed with the Psalms. You know? um, you, you've seduced me, he says, O oh Lord, and I was seduced. Um, he believes that this is the case for him. Um, St. Teresa of Avila uh, would break out into ecstasy in prayer, um, so much so that when a statue was made of her and placed in St. Peter's in Rome, uh, people were horrified because of how explicitly ecstatic it was. Um, and she speaks of uh, prayer in this way. She says, prayer is loving intercourse with God. Just as Anglican worship begins with a reading of scripture followed by prayers, so our daily rule of life is to be patterned on Bible reading and prayer. Now we often say, well, what do words have to do with this sort of intimacy? And, and the answer is quite simple. What kind of, what kind of uh, lovers would husband and wife be if they did not speak to each other? Yes? It was just like, mm, mm, mm. Um, no, no, not enough. There's got to be words. There are words spoken. And so pr prayer begins in the word of God and continues on with our words. But prayer takes two primary forms. On the one hand, we speak to God on our own, apart from human company, as our Savior directed in his Sermon on the Mount, uh, to pray in secret, yes? Um, he says, go into your room, shut the door, and pray in secret. Why? 
So that your only reward is the reward of, a, of, a, of, of intimacy with God, yes? Um, that, that can be it. Um, and this is, this is very uh, difficult for people to hear because we, we often um, are, uh, are mesmerized by those who seem to be able to pray so well, yes, in public. We say, oh, he's so good at praying. And this makes us feel often sheepish about it, doesn't it? Like, oh, how could I possibly pray? I'm not any good at praying. Well, you know, Jesus' first words about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount are, don't pray publicly when you're, on, when you're praying on your own. Um, pray alone, in secret, the door shut. Um, now, that's not to say that we shouldn't pray for each other publicly. That's not what it is to say at all. Um, but it is to say that, um, that this, is, this is the center of the, of the prayer life. On the other hand, we also pray in company as part of a worshiping congregation in any group that meets for prayer and ideally also with family and friends. Um, so we have these two sides of this. We have both private prayer and what we call liturgical prayer, and I'll say more about that as we go through the catechism. Um, but with that, uh, I think you can read the, read the rest on your own. Let's jump in. Question 149, what is prayer? Prayer is turning my heart toward God to converse with him in worship. So I think this should say to us, first of all, prayer is not just the words we use, right? I mean, after all, I can recite the Lord's Prayer all day long until I'm blue in the face. Does it matter? What matters? The condition of the heart. Um, prayer is turning my heart toward God to converse with him in worship. Um, and this is also to say that prayer is not a one-sided thing. It's not just us speaking to God. What is it? It also involves listening um, to have our hearts changed. What, is, what should you seek in prayer? In prayer, I should seek the joy of fellowship with God who made me for fellowship with him. Um, remember back, I mean, half the Bible happens in the first three chapters, I'm convinced, in miniature, okay? Uh, what, what do we read about, about Adam when Adam is all alone in the garden? That he's all alone, right? Yes? And there's something which isn't so good about this. And in fact, the only thing prior to the fall that God says isn't good is what? That man should be alone. So his solitude is, is a problem. Um, now, is solitude always a problem? No, not at all. Solitude can be very good, uh, especially to those who are practiced in it. <laughs> but um, we learn not only that God is made for, that man is made for fellowship with others, but also we learn that he's made for fellowship with whom? With God himself. In prayer, I should seek the joy of fellowship with God who made me for fellowship with him. Um, this word fellowship is actually uh, a, a really, you know, kind of wonderful word. Um, and when it's used in the New Testament, usually it's a translation of the Greek word koinonia, um, which doesn't mean fun and food, because, uh, you know, churches have fellowship halls, and what happens there? Yeah, fun and food, casseroles, right? and potlucks, right? No, that's not the, that is not what, when you read fellowship in the New Testament, don't read that. Um, koinonia refers to being as one, uh, being in common, 
having things in common, having a common life. Um, there's that wonderful Latin word convivium, con conviviality, yes? To have life together. Um, and, and our Christian life is a life which is lived together with God. It's a part of his divine life, to share his divine life. Um, and this happens um, in a myriad of ways, but, but the, the prime way that it happens is through this active life of prayer. And so we ask the question, what is fellowship with God? Fellowship with God in prayer is relating to him as his children as we approach the light and glory of his throne. We are taught uh, constantly in the New Testament to relate to God as his children. Um, those of you who are parents, how do your children, well, maybe it's changed a little bit through the years, but how do your children relate to you? Right, it changes through the years. How does it start off? You know this. Total dependence, yes? Total dependence. Um, you know, and then there's this, there's this glorious moment when a child can tell you, I'm poopy. <laughs> oh, thank you. Now I don't have to wonder. You just tell me. Thank you. This is great. That's a big step, right? And, and, and things can, you know, children mature, right? And they, they mature in that relationship. The relationship of a parent to a child changes through the years, does it not? Um, it goes through rocky times, yes? Where you feel like, oh, my parents hate me. Like right when you're about 10, yes? Maybe a little bit later, hopefully a little later. Um, but that, and that's, again, an analogy, and analogies fall apart. But it is to say that um, the Christian life actually has um, a bit of a story to it. A story of maturity, of growth. Um, we relate to him as his children, but uh, I think this is to say as well, we are dependent, yes? Always. Um, there's a part of me, I mean, as my parents get older, I realize just how true this is. Um, that as I watch my parents age, I feel like I'm, being, I'm, I'm losing something, which I need. It's tough. It's really hard um, because I need my mom. I need my dad. Um, we are children, children. Um, how can you have fellowship with God? Through the death of Jesus as both high priest and sacrifice, and in his Holy Spirit, I have fellowship with God in word, sacrament, and prayer. All right, there's a lot to that, but I want to break it down a little bit. The New Testament is emphatic that without the sacrifice of Christ, his death, his resurrection, his life, um, we cannot have uh, the kind of fellowship with God that he intends us to have. Um, it's impossible. Why? Can you have fellowship with friends who sin against you? Ever tried to eat Thanksgiving dinner when your family's in conflict? It tastes bad, doesn't it? It tastes gross. It leaves a sick feeling in your stomach. Um, we are made for, uh, for uh, a free um, and, and redeemed relationship with God. And he gives us this through Jesus Christ. In fact, I always love to talk about this when it comes to the Lord's Prayer because um, St. Augustine talks about this in his sermon on the Lord's Prayer. It's this wonderful phrase. 
where he's talking about Jesus on the cross calling out to God as his father, yes? You know that's what Jesus does on the cross. He prays, yes? To God, not as like God this, God that, but what? His father. Augustine says that he's stretching out his arms on the cross and he imagines him praying the Lord's prayer as he does it. And he thinks that what's going and, and he says what's going on is that Jesus is opening his arms to the father who's not like earthly fathers. Here's what here's what earthly fathers do when they find out that they're having another kid, usually. They're like, oh no, how are we going to provide for one more mouth? But God the Father's not like that, is he? He never sits there and says, Oh, how am I going to have enough bread for all these children? Because he has enough bread. <laughs> That's not, the, that's not the question. And Jesus stretches out his arms on the cross and looks up to the Father and says, you think you got room for one more? And what's the answer? Yes! And so what does he teach us to pray? Our Father. It's a prayer we pray with Jesus, uh, who enfolds us into his family. Um, through the death of Jesus is both high priest and sacrifice. I can say a great deal more about that. I mean, in the Old Testament, uh, you know, to go into the temple without some sort of sacrifice was a difficult thing, yes? I mean, why would you? You, you buy a sacrifice so that, your, so that your prayer can be made valid. Um, but what do we have? You know, as the letter of the Hebrews says, we have he who has gone behind the curtain, <laughs> yeah, um, who has entered into the place. Um, and we also have his Holy Spirit. Now, we've talked about this in the, in the creed section. Um, where is the Holy Spirit for the Christian? Here, baby, right here. Right? Yes? The indwelling Holy Spirit. Um, you know, we, we've got to say this more often. That we Christians do not believe in sort of the God of the gaps that lives beyond the stars. Do we? No. We believe in the God who indwells us by his Holy Spirit. Um, and so this is a constant thing. Paul speaks about how the Holy Spirit, even when we, even when we can't pray, what's happening? The Holy Spirit's groaning inside us. Abba, Abba, Father. I like to give it a little bit of dramatic, you know, effort there. Abba. <laughs> um, but there it is. It, it's, it's groaning too much for words. And we commune with God. We have fellowship with God in word. Okay. So, you know, listen to this. This morning at about 1030, we will start. And what will happen? A whole lot of words, right? Uh, it begins, blessed be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom now and forever. And there are prayers and prayers. And then there's readings and readings and readings. Yes? Um, and the reason for all of that is that we still believe, I mean, it's an amazing thing, but we still believe that, that, that the word of God implanted into the human life, into, into our lives, bears fruit. Yes? Remember scripture. I mean, I believe it's, man, I'm quoting scripture off the top of my head and I don't have the verses, but it's you know, receive the implanted word, which is what? Able to save you, able to save your souls. The implanted word is at the center of the Christian life. Um, so read a lot of scripture, yeah? 
Okay. Um, sacrament. We worship in word and sacrament. So at a point, there's a change, right? And, and we begin this liturgy of the Eucharist. Um, and, and in this, listen, do you want to know what the Eucharist is? God is giving himself to you. Just giving himself to you. Um, you know, Paul writes of the Eucharist in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, the, the, the bread which we break, is it not a participation? And here he uses that Greek word koinonia. Is it not koinonia with the body of Christ? The, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not koinonia with the blood of Christ? To receive fellowship with the body and blood of Christ. And prayer. Um, I've known many people through the years who think, I got word and sacrament, what else do I need? I'll just go to church every Sunday and I'm fine. And you know what the saints say? It doesn't amount to a hill of beans if you don't pray. Because the grace of the sacraments and the grace of the scriptures becomes, becomes active in your life through prayer. Okay? It's like, you know, your, your gas tank can be full, okay? But it doesn't matter if you don't drive anywhere. Is your gas tank full? Yes. So what? You see the point? Um, your bank account can be full, it doesn't matter if you don't spend any money, right? Sure, you feel safe. Um, what difference? Right? Um, and in fact, you know, the reality of it is um, it's a use it or lose it situation, right? Use the grace of the sacraments, use the grace of the word of God, or it disappears. Um, pray, 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 pray. Why should you pray? Okay, well, I've answered that question, but let's, let's see this answer. <laughs> Why should you pray? I should pray first because God calls me to do so. Because I desire to know God and be known by him. Third, because I need the grace and consolation of the Holy Spirit. And fourth, because God responds to the prayers of his people. Okay, first, God calls me to do so. Um. Oh, my. I mean, in Scripture, we're reminded to always pray and never lose heart. Yes? Um, we're reminded to persevere in prayer. Um, we're reminded to pray not just in the good, but when? In the bad as well. How do we see this? What does Jesus do from the cross? He prays. Second, because I desire to know God and be known by him. Does God know you? Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, we pray um, so, that, uh, so that we can, and we really do, we pray so that we can know God. Um, and the reality of it is that uh, in our, in our kind of modern world in which we place such a huge emphasis upon the kind of knowledge that comes from reading a lot of books and uh, taking a lot of courses, um, this kind of knowledge is really lacking. Um, 
What does Paul say? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And what kind of knowledge is he talking about here? Yeah, it's, it's, it's knowledge of a, ra- a relational kind. It's even, it's even a little bit more than that. It's, it's knowledge of bodily intimacy. It's, it's knowledge of a deep intimacy. Um, and he knows, and this is, part of the, this is part of the thing that should surprise us, but, but it doesn't usually. Um, you know, the gospel writers, they write the, the kind of, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. And you would think that somebody like Paul would want you to get that. But he says, you already got that. This is what I really want you to get. So what does Paul talk about? The glories of life in Christ. Yes? Um, And he encourages this uh, life of prayer. Third, because I need the grace and consolation of the Holy Spirit. Yes? Um, You know, listen... um, We often have this idea that um, it's like this. Well, I believe in Jesus, okay, and that's great, and so I'm going to go to heaven when I die, and, uh, but the rest is up to me, man, right? Like, I'm going to take care of myself. Is, if, that's, that's not what the New Testament is on about, not at all. Um, the New Testament is, about, is, is really speaking to this um, need that we have to rely upon the grace of God, um, to rely upon that consolation. Um, you think about this. For Paul and the apostles, was their life in Christ easy? Was it full of, like, joy? And I mean, there was joy, for sure. But it was full of dying, yes? Um in fact, uh, Ella and I went and saw Rogue One last night. I am uh, I'm impressed, I have to say, and you should go see it. The, the great thing about it is that, it, you know, and I don't want to spoil it, but death is at the center of the entire movie. I mean, it's a movie about death. But the best thing is, it's about death. It's about victory through death. Yeah? I mean, just death, 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 all the way through. But the great thing about it is, it's death with a purpose. It's not a nihilistic death. Um, and, and the Christian life is about death at the center of it, yes? Um, Paul speaks about putting to death um, his, 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 his members, right? his, his hands, his feet. Um, okay. Um, and and to, be, to be raised to the new life of grace. Fourth, because God responds to the prayers of his people. Um, And we're assured of this, yes? What does Jesus say? Well, uh, how about this? Um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to good good things to your children, how much more will the heavenly good Father give to those who ask you? Yeah? Yeah? Um, you're evil. You know how to give good things to your children. God's good. Okay. Um, and of course, Jesus repeats this: that um, you know, when two or three are gathered in my name, 
I will grant their request. You know, you'll grant their requests. What should you pray? In addition to my own prayers, I should pray the Lord's Prayer, the Psalms, and the collected prayers of the church. Now, I love this. Um, because we often think about prayer as this sort of personal exercise of my own um, uh, ability with words to get my point across and be heard and uh, relate to God and, and the rest. And um, there's a certain point when it all falls apart, isn't it? Um, you know, there's a, there's a sort of a fad movement going on of uh, poets going out with typewriters to city squares and writing love poems for a fee. And you sort of think, well, why, why would they do that? That's crazy. Well, it's an old profession, right? Um, in fact, a Baylor professor was telling me that he thought this ancient author was, uh, was, was writing her poetry for, uh, for money. And she was quite good at it. Um, there, there comes a point where to express our love, we need words not our own to do so. Um, and this is the glory of written prayer, is it not? It's that we don't pray on our own. We don't pray in isolation. We pray as members of a body with an inheritance, with, a shared, with shared gifts, um, with shared language. Um, it should not surprise us that the first thing that Jesus does is in, in terms of teaching prayer is what? Do you ever find that surprising that the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples, and what does he do? Well, here's what you got to do. You got to get in a, in a quiet place, and you got to sit there with a the Bible on your, on your lap. He doesn't say that, does he? What does he say? He says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I got to tell you, if I was sitting there as, an, as a disciple, I would have been very, very, very uh, nonplussed by that, personally. Like, really? A written prayer, Jesus? Seriously, that's the best you got? Oh, but a depth, yes? I mean, and we're going to find that. We're going to discover in this, uh, in this teaching in the Lord's Prayer the depth of the Lord's Prayer, the wealth that it is, the treasury that it is. Um, and, and I would say this of many written prayers. The, the written prayers of the church and the collected prayers of the church, which we use here, which are often called collects, um, and that's because they're collected, um, are an unbelievable wealth of prayer. Um, and I say this also of the Psalms. Um, for many people, come, becoming Anglican for the first time means picking up the Psalms as a, as a method of prayer for the very first time. Um, and you know, it, it's sort of funny. We, we laugh in our morning prayer group occasionally when uh, the, the, psalm, the psalms appointed for the day will exclude certain verses that are a little angry and uh, a little vindictive, and we say, let's do them anyway. <laughs> and, and you know what? That's great, right? Because sometimes you just got to pray the, the imprecatory psalms straight through. Um, wonderful. Wonderful practices. Um, the, the Psalms, I'll tell you, say this, the Psalms teach us to pray like Jesus prayed. You think about that. From the cross, he prays. What does he pray? The Psalter. You know, there's some ancient Christians that think that Jesus recited all the Psalms from the cross. I mean, that boggles the mind. 
um, but all of them memorized. This was very normal, actually. Um, I was actually just reading of John Chrysostom that the, the, first, the first thing that John Chrysostom did upon entering the monastery was he memorized the Psalms and the entire New Testament. And within two years, he could, he could recite all of it, chapter and verse. Well, without chapters and verses, but you know. <laughs> he could recite it. The Psalms are at the center of this. Um, uh, Benedictine monks, up until very recently, they had the entire Psalter memorized. In fact, they could, they could going off the very introduction, the introductory Latin text um, and the tone being used in reciting it, they could recite the whole thing um, straight there from memory. Of course, that happens when you recite, you know, 10, 11, 12 psalms a day. Uh, but there it is. All right. When should you pray? I should pray morning, noon, and night. And whenever I am aware of my need for God's special grace... And I should learn to pray without ceasing as I grow in knowledge of God's nearness. Okay. Paul tells us, pray without ceasing. And, um, you know, this is a very difficult thing. It's, it's like, uh, well, how, should, how can I do that? i got to brush my teeth, right? Um, how can I do that? I have, to, I have all these things I have to do. Um, and spiritual authors have written about this through the centuries. Um, and, um, and in the Eastern Church, this is actually a, a practice of prayer uh, which is supposed to become almost like the breath that you breathe. Um, it's supposed to infuse all of life, this uh, repetition of what's called the Jesus Prayer. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, and it's, uh, some of the monks on Mount Athos can actually uh, say the first half of the prayer as they breathe in and <laughs> exhale on the way out. And it's this like, it's really strange, but there it is. Uh, it's to say that... Um, Prayer becomes um, not this thing that we do at certain times, but the position and the orientation of all life. Okay. Um, such that our minds are always turned uh, towards God. Our hearts, our, our, our minds are always turned toward God. Our, our hearts are always turned uh, toward God. We begin, though, and I think this is important, um, you can't just sort of do that all of a sudden, right? It doesn't work that way. Um, I can't just sort of say to you, you know, you should pray 24 hours a day. Even when you're sleeping, you should be praying. I mean, I could, right? But it'd become bewildering, yes? So one of the best ways to do it is to say, get a basic um, uh, pattern in which you pray morning, noon, and night. Um, and one of the best ways to do this is to say, uh, and we'll, I'll, I'll say more about this in the future, but it's to say, start small. Start in ways that you can actually achieve, right? Because this is part of the problem. I'm going to pray for an hour a day. And after a week of this, you're like, oh, I can't do that. It's too much. My mind wanders off, and within 10 minutes, I'm on Facebook on my phone. And you just think, no, that can't, that's not sustainable, okay? Uh, start small. Start in achievable amounts. Um, get things going in basic small ways. Um, and there will be more instruction on this as it goes on. But the, for now, it's enough to say uh, morning, noon, night. All right. Should we keep going? I think we have about 10 solid minutes left. And Father Jonathan's going to pick it up next week, so uh, be ready for that. What is the prayer our Lord taught his disciples to pray? The traditional version of the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, just, a, just a word about the text for that prayer. If you, if you look in the Bible in, Ma- in Matthew chapter 6, uh, you will not find it like that. Why? Because the ancient texts don't include the doxology at the end. That's one thing. Um, other texts do. And uh, Anglicans being very traditional are like, well, why should we get rid of it? It's traditional. Right? It's not, we know it's not in the Bible, but we do it anyway because it's traditional. Okay, so there you go. Uh, but, but it is also uh, important that uh, that we note um, that, uh, well, I'll say this. Um, it has been tried and it never works to change the text of the Lord's Prayer for Christian worship. Father Jonathan knows this. He's sitting there smiling like, yep, we tried it again. Actually, <laughs> we keep trying it. And, uh, and you know, it, it's a noble effort, right? But it never works. You'll note that in uh, liturgies where there's modern language, it's modern language throughout. There's not a single bit of Elizabethan, you know, these and thous and ever until you get to the Lord's Prayer when it absolutely is. Okay. Um, it is to say something about that Christians, liturgically speaking, are incredibly conservative by nature, um, incredibly traditional, um, and that for many people, I suspect, you probably learned the Lord's Prayer when you were three years old. Um, I probably learned it about then. Um, and you just, it just gets repeated and repeated. And so uh, to change it at all is horrifying, right? I'm going to get, st- I'm going to stumble around in this new version. Then, I, you know, I'm just going to drop it because it's not worth it. Um, so it gets taught in this way. Um, and, and indeed, this translation goes back to even before the King James Bible, um, even before Wycliffe. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's quite a heritage. All right, why should you pray the Lord's Prayer? I should pray the Lord's Prayer because Christ in his Gospels teaches it to his disciples as both the practice and a pattern for fellowship with God the Father. Um, The Lord's Prayer is spoken of in these two ways, and and, uh, I hope Father Jonathan will say more about this next week, but um, it's spoken of as a pattern and as a practice, and and that's an important thing. Um, We should pray the Lord's Prayer, though, because, um, first of all, Jesus tells us to. When you pray, pray like this, yes? Pretty pretty basic. Um, He teaches it to his disciples, but he's teaching it to them for a reason. It sets out a, a reliable pattern. Um, okay, but let's ask these two questions. How is the Lord's Prayer a practice for all prayer? When I pray the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is training me to pray according to his Father's will, so I should employ the prayer constantly. Um, We often speak today about uh, lawyers practicing law, doctors practicing medicine. Um, Is there anything else that we practice? Soccer, football, we practice sports, yeah? We practice piano, we practice instruments. And what do you do in practice? You do reps, right? Repetition. For doctors, how do doctors practice medicine? You do it over and over and over again. Um, And you know this. 
When you go into a room, uh, there's a series of questions that you need to be asking. And if you get the sequence wrong, you can make major mistakes. Um, so what do you do? You practice it over and over and over again. And you teach it in this way. And you learn it in this way. Um, doctors have this wonderful phrase. Um, um, it's learn one, do one, teach one. Is it, am I getting it right? Yeah. Yeah, see one, do one, teach one. Um, and, and you see it, you do it, and then you teach it. Um, in fact, that's how, I, that's how I train acolytes, and it's more or less somewhat working. Uh, but, but it's to say that this is, how you, this is how you do it, and this is this practice which goes on over and over and over again. And look at the disciples. Why are they inspired to have Jesus teach them to pray? Because they saw him do it. They see him pray, and they want to learn to pray. Um, when I pray the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is training me. This is why the Christian life of prayer um, is often referred to in the Fathers as ascesis. Um, do you know what ascesis means? Training. Okay. Um, it is to say it's the same kind of training which an Olympic athlete undertakes. Um, constant repetition, constant practice. Um, so I should employ the prayer constantly. How does the Lord's Prayer give you a pattern for prayer? The Lord's Prayer models the primary elements of fellowship with God, praise of God, acceptance of his rule and will, repetition for his provision, confession of my sins, here are called trespasses, forgiveness of others, avoidance of sin, and God's protection from evil and Satan. I should pray regularly about these things in my own words. Um, when I was a kid, my mom used to make our clothes occasionally, uh, and um, to, 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 they always turned out quite well, but, but it was always kind of like, why can't we go to the store like normal kids and buy our clothes? But I'm actually rather glad she did. Um, and you remember, did your mom make your clothes at any point? Okay, so there's some of you. What's the first thing that would happen, aside from the trip to Joann's or whatever it was? Measurements, and then? You cut the pattern. And you, you buy this like pack of patterns on pattern paper and you cut it out and you get everything laid out on top of the fabric just so and you pin it in place and then you get out your really nice scissors that no one else is allowed to use but you and you start cutting. And if one of those pieces is off by even a little bit, what happens? It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So in cutting out the pattern, you lay out a reliable thing, yes? Now, those of you, if, if any of you are really talented at, at sewing, you know, yeah, that's great when you're starting off, right? But over time, you learn to freestyle a little bit, right? When you're learning to cook, you learn how do you learn to cook? You follow the recipe, right? Um, you follow the recipe. And, and what happens is you get better and better at cooking. You start to have this miraculous ability to just throw stuff in a pot and out comes whatever it is you were trying to cook, right? Because you've got this pattern down. Um, if you just freestyled from the start, how would it work? Unless you're like, I don't know, uh, Gordon Ramsay. It just doesn't work out right, does it? Um, there's got to be a recipe. Um, and so the Lord's Prayer gives us this pattern. It models the primary elements of fellowship with God, 
um, praise of God, acceptance of his rule and will. You know, think about this for a moment. Um, thy will be done. Four words. What's in those words? Everything about the Christian life that you could possibly want is in those words. Abandonment to God's will. Abandonment to his, to his providence. Um, to say, um, to speak of surrender. Um, to speak the whole of discipleship. Think about it. When the disciples leave their nets, what are they saying but, thy will be done. Um, petition for his provision. Confession of my sins forgiveness of others, avoidance of sin, and God's protection from evil and Satan. These are the elements of the Christian life. Are they not? Um, and in fact, in a, in a really wild way, the Lord's Prayer actually tells the story of discipleship. I should pray regularly about these things in my own words as well. Um, and that is very, very, very true. Um, in fact, one of the ways that you can even learn to pray is by praying the Lord's Prayer slowly and after each petition, stopping for a bit and praying through the petition um, in greater depth. What are the parts of the Lord's Prayer? The Lord's Prayer begins with an address, makes seven petitions, adds a doxology, and concludes with amen. <laughs> um, do you ever find it funny? Uh, I've noticed this lately on Facebook. Um, People will uh, put a prayer up on Facebook, and um, it will, uh, or they'll they'll post something, and they'll they'll type in the simple word "Amen," and it'll have a little link under there that says "See translation." Have you ever seen this? And you hit "See translation," and what does it say? "Amen," <laughs> um, and that is to say that "Amen" is a word of assent uh, that has become universal uh, throughout um, throughout the church uh, and. And throughout people who pray, uh, it, it is to say that uh, this this word of assent um, is attached to the Lord's prayer, um, and it is uh, it is it has always been there um, from the earliest days. Describe the order of the petitions in the Lord's prayer, as in the Ten Commandments, God's glory, name, and kingdom precede any petitions for our personal well-being. Uh, what a sentence! Um, listen. Who comes first? God is always first. Always first. Um, what does Jesus say? Seek what? First, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then everything else will be added to you. Um, in fact, we, we teach our children things like this. Um, like, I love it now, you know, it kind of drives our girls nuts, but they'll, they'll say things like, I need water. What? I'm sorry, what? Daddy, I need water. You need water what? I need water, please. Oh, finally. Okay, <laughs> and now I can go get you water. And I'm not just toying with my children. What am I trying to get them to do? I'm trying to get them to seek something greater than their own needs first, right? That's, in fact, what politeness is all about, is it not? To say, I'm going to set aside my deep needs for a moment and just acknowledge that I can't fill them myself. 
Um, so the Lord's Prayer always seeks this first. It's our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Um, this teaches us uh, that, and, and this, is, this is a radical thing, so I want to end here. Um, we're often told implicitly on the news that man's greatest accomplishment will be providing for our own needs. Yes? That when we can stamp out hunger, when we can stamp out war, when we can get rid of all these ills, we'll have finally done something right and good. The Lord's Prayer turns all that on its head and saying what? Before anything else. Before we ask for relief from hunger. Before we ask for what? The forgiveness of our own sins. What do we pray? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Indeed, all those other things can happen, but if they don't happen in submission to God's will and as a part of his kingdom, then what's the point is the question being asked here. Um, and that is to say that um, it's, it's a bit of a warning that I'd issue, which is to say that um, there's something happening today which I'm noticing, which is that Christians speak about the, the need for social action as an end in itself. And it often becomes idolatrous. Um, Christians, uh, uh, and indeed I would say this, the Christians who do the most good in this world are those who take prayer the most seriously. Ever notice that? Um, so so that is, that's at the heart of it. It's to say that um, when in seeking God's will and seeking his kingdom first, um, all these things are added. Um, and the Lord's Prayer shows us how to do that in prayer. Um, so in the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about that. This should take us straight up to the end of Lent if we go slowly enough, which I hope we will. Uh, and then uh, we'll begin, usually we begin uh, Easter uh, talking through the Ten Commandments. Um, so anyway, one of the things that I want to do uh, in the last two minutes here is say, uh, if you've been coming regularly to catechesis since August or since really September, um, you are uh, eligible to uh, be confirmed. Now, I want to say that with a caveat, which is that um, it's my position as the, as the rector or vicar of the congregation for now to invite you to be confirmed. But I want you to consider it and I want you to pray about it um, as we head into, uh, into Lent. And starting in Epiphany is when that call starts to get made, right? Uh, so I want to say that to you. If you've not yet been confirmed, if you've not yet uh, joined up as a member of Christ Church, this would be a great, a great way to do that. Um, I want to say as well uh, that um, the point of this class really is to just get everybody started, right? Uh, catechesis is a, is a starter course, really. Um, and, uh, and after that, things become, um, there you know, many, many more opportunities to come. Uh, so keep that in mind as well. Okay, we'll begin in a bit.